We are focused on rescuing farm animals, but also educating the public on the issues that farm animals face and kind of letting people know that there's different ways that you can be proactive in taking steps to combat climate change and be really kind to animals as well as take care of your health. And so we are a 32-acre nonprofit in Sonoma, and we have about 150 animals there. They're all rescued animals. And I started this sanctuary about four years ago. Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hi, all. This is Lindsay. Thanks for joining Creating Community for Good podcast. On today's episode, I talk with a dear friend and founder of Charlie's Acres, a farm animal rescue sanctuary. What's cool about their approach is that they serve as a sanctuary to allow animals to live out their natural lives in peace. But what's more than that is that they serve as a venue to advocate for compassion of these intelligent beings. There are many reasons to view animals in a compassionate light, which in turn will naturally lead to making more humane choices. And they're there to help us along the way to have a kinder lifestyle. This episode is one that the whole family can enjoy as Tracy talks about goats photobombing conference calls, the value of hugging a cow, and the fun of getting to know the personalities of the animals at a sanctuary. In fact, did you know that each animal species is unique and that it has its own special diet, exercise, and health requirements? At Charlie's Acres, they work with veterinarians, other sanctuaries, and local experts to ensure that they're providing animals with the best care possible. Now, this episode is not just about the animals. It's also about the executive director and her path as a founder, new to the nonprofit space, and obviously hit, like all of us, during COVID with totally different opportunities for donor engagement. I think you'll enjoy hearing her story, her mission, and her passion. Also, I want to give her a deep shout out and gratitude as we are currently seeing fires blazing again in Napa, California. And... I will announce that her her farm has not been hit yet, so we hope that it won't be. And in the last fire, over the last few weeks, they took in over 70 animals and they're expecting to take in more during this fire and they're, they're prepared for that. So if you love what they do and you want to support them, then definitely go to www.charliesacres.org. Now, tune in and listen to the interview with this founding executive director and one of my friends as she talks about mission, purpose, and resilience at Charlie's Acres. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Creating Community for Good. My guest today is a dear friend and one who is a very passionate advocate and action-oriented woman, Tracy Bott. And Tracy, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So Tracy, I was really curious to hear from you on this podcast today about what brings you meaning and how did you create the concept of starting a nonprofit at a young age, I would say, you know, in in your early years. Let's just start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about you and where you're coming from. Okay. So my name's Tracy and I 
started Charlie's Acres, which is a farm animal sanctuary in Sonoma, California. We are focused on rescuing farm animals, but also educating the public on the issues that farm animals face and kind of letting people know that there's different ways that you can be proactive in taking steps to combat climate change and be really kind to animals as well as take care of your health. And so we are a 32-acre nonprofit in Sonoma, and we have about 150 animals there. They're all rescued animals. And I started this sanctuary about four years ago. So I really have been passionate about animals my whole life. I really loved farm animals when I was growing up. I grew up in a kind of rural area up in Northern California and was around farm animals, but never owned them myself and always had dogs and cats and just volunteered at all the shelters and everything and really enjoyed being around animals. And I actually started kind of finding some compassion for farm animals after I watched the movie Babe, which was about a talking pig. I think it was early 90s. And I realized after I watched that movie, I didn't want to eat animals or farm or eat pigs at least. And that was like my start. I was like, okay, I don't want to eat pigs anymore. They seem really smart. And I just kind of started gradually going down a path of eliminating animal products in my diet and kind of learning more about the issues and ended up where I am today, which starting a a sanctuary for these animals, as well as trying to kind of let people know about my journey and how you can be involved as well. I love that. I'm so inspired to hear that pig was what changed your whole viewpoint. So this podcast is all about creating community for good. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you see yourself as somebody who's creating community? I feel like I am creating a community of people who are interested in helping animals and also just doing the best they can to make good choices in the world in relation to it, like I said, like climate change and health and taking care of animals. And so by just creating a space where people can come and meet these animals, as well as an online presence where people can see the personalities and the beauty and the intelligence of these animals, I think I'm creating a community that can really start to take action and find other advocates to be partners with and connect with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's aligning mission. I love that. Mm -hmm. And a couple of weeks ago, or even a couple of months ago, you started a Sunday fun day club where Mm -hmm. a bunch of us get together and do some kind of activity, whether it's simply hanging out in a park with some tacos and fresh guac, Mm -hmm. or if we go up to river rafting, or we went up to your farm. So we went Mm -hmm. to Charlie's Acres and I was blown away by what I saw because you really hand built it. Tell us about what you started with and where it is today. Yeah. So we, like I said, we have 32 acres. It's right in the middle of wine country. It's a beautiful spot. It's surrounded by vineyards. We don't actually have any vineyards on our property, but we're right near all the wineries. And when I bought the property, it had a barn on the property that was kind of a, I mean, it's still, still working barn, but it's kind of an older eight stall barn. And then just a bunch of pasture land. And so over the last four years, I've worked with a team of people to build 
about 11 animal barns and they're varying in size, but they house pigs, cows, goats, chickens, kind of you name it. And then split all the pastures up into the appropriate pasture size and appropriate fencing for the types of animals. And so it's really become a space that is really well suited for farm animals as well as well suited for tours. So we provide tours on the weekends and we allow school kids to come out and other groups to come out and take tours on our property. And I've designed it so that it's kind of well suited for a walking tour with a comfortable road to walk on and a loop system and everything. Yeah, I love it. And I found it really interesting that you separated some of the animals, even if they were the same type of animal. So tell us a little bit about the personalities of who you've got Mm -hmm. on the ranch. Yeah, so, I mean, you can put a lot of different types of animals together. They don't all have to be separate, but we separated several of the different groups of animals just because of personalities or size. So we have kind of the rowdy teenage boy goats that we have together. And then we have kind of the mellow goats that are, or the female goats who can take it easy or something like that. So we've got them separated based on their personalities that way. We also have them somewhat separated based on size and sometimes even gender. So we have chickens, we have the female hens separate from a lot of the roosters because sometimes the roosters will fight if there's a lot of females near them. So we've really figured out like who really fits where and where they can kind of sort and stay together. And all of them have such unique personalities. There's stories about all of them that we could be telling, you know, about Petunia, the pig who came from a laboratory, who she is kind of the the matriarch of her little pot belly bunch and she pushes everybody around because she's been there almost the longest. And then we have we have Louie, who is the little goat who he got bullied by the male goats, the teenage boy goats. And so he had to come and live with the ladies, but he loves to play with kids. So there's just every single animal there has a unique personality and a unique story. And we try to, when people come to visit, we really try to give those stories to people so they can see that this goat or this cow or this pig is just like their dog at home and their cat at home and really make that connection by, by learning about their stories. I love that. And you were talking about how sometimes on a tough day, you might even go up to the ranch and go cuddle with some of the animals. Tell us more <laughs> about some of the thinking behind that or the feeling behind that, maybe I should say. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons why somebody might want to go cuddle with an animal <laughs> at any given time. But with cows in particular, they have a higher temp body temperature and they have a lower heart rate. So if you actually cuddle with a cow, you can potentially have, you know, see your blood pressure reduce and just the stress kind of melt away and you can start to feel a little bit more relaxed just biologically. That's something that happens. And so that's really a neat thing to do. And even just, I have one goat where she is the best hugger. Like you can go and you give her a hug for, she'll hold her a hug for like 30 seconds before she moves. (laughs) I've never even had a dog do that where she'll just put her head on your shoulder and just hold it. And so the really cool thing about all of these animals is that they've had a traumatic background. They've had 
some issue where they really should not trust people. They shouldn't have any reason why they should like humans, really. And they all have somehow come around to really be wonderful and appreciate us and be very forgiving. And so it's kind of an inspiration for me when I am around them because I'm like, oh, you know, they've had a really rough life and they can still kind of see the good in someone that's near them and, and be around them. Mm, well, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I saw on Instagram the other day that you've got a new member of the family. Do you have a new cow? Oh, <laughs> um, he is a foster cow. So we have Hans, who is there with his brother, Finn and Tony, and they are actually wildfire evacuees. So we have taken in about 70 animals from the recent wildfires in Vacaville and Guerneville and just the Bay Area in general. And so those three cows have joined us temporarily. They'll probably be there about a month, but we are now housing as many animals as we can fit to the brim in our sanctuary at this moment. How do you accommodate for that many animals? So originally when I started the sanctuary, I figured that I would fill up all the space in my every space I had available and that that would be, you know, that would just happen because there'd be enough animals that needed help. And it's been really hard, but I've had to set aside space that I won't fill up during the year just because I know that I'll need it in the fall when we have wildfires because we're having them year after year. So I've saved a barn and I've saved several pastures that I keep empty. And each year we've needed to take in evacuees. So I find that that's also just kind of a really important service to the community because there's not a lot of spaces for farm animals. And when you're in an emergency situation and you've got a trailer load of animals with a fire beating down on you, you need to take them somewhere and you need somewhere safe. So. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that you're able to do that. How wonderful to preserve that space for them and how terrible that you have to anticipate it. So Tracy, I'm curious. When I launched the podcast, we had just begun the shelter in place. And now this is the new norm. So my question to you is, did you anticipate that the shelter in place would last as long as it did? And how did you as a nonprofit weather this storm? Yeah. So or how are you? We, so? I, I didn't anticipate it would last this long. I don't know if anybody really did. I kind of figured by the summer we would be at least a little more back to normal than we were. But we, you know, one of our our main sources of income to our nonprofit is through tours and bringing people on site. And so once we found out that we had to shelter in place and basically cancel that, we had to kind of scramble and think about different ways that we could pivot and still make money. And one way was doing that through virtual tours. So we... Okay. Yeah. So... A lot of different services kind of popped up with as in regards to virtual experiences. And we had always been using Airbnb as in-person experiences. So we're an in-person experience host where people would book an experience and come and visit us just through the Airbnb website. And once and they immediately canceled that. They, you know, as soon as we started sheltering in place, there was no chance of that coming back. But then they put into place virtual experiences. And so we were one of the original few hosts that were 
actually put in place by Airbnb to host virtual experiences. So we actually are now doing virtual tours where people are able to come online and they we do it through Zoom. And they will do a virtual one-hour tour with us from all over the world. So we've had U.S. embassies that have joined us from different countries. <laughs> Somehow we got on the embassy circuit. <laughs> the other day, we had somebody in Bulgaria join us and people from all over the world just tune in and watch our virtual tours. And it's actually kind of neat because they also get to connect with each other through Airbnb and through the... So, you know, there's been people who were quarantined separately and they did a virtual date with us. <laughs> so... <laughs> And I got to hang out. We've had birthday parties, family parties. So it's kind of a fun activity for people to do when they're at home, but they're also trying to connect with somebody else. So that's been really neat. The other thing we did was with another sanctuary who started something called Goat to Meetings, which is kind of like a cameo experience where one of our animals can join a work call. So uh, we often would have our goats join, pop in on somebody's happy hour or somebody's business meeting. And what would happen is typically just the one person who booked it would know. And then everybody else on the call would be surprised and, oh my gosh, why is there a goat in the meeting? And (laughs) it brought some levity for, to those companies, I think, and to the people who kind of have Zoom fatigue and are sitting at home and haven't seen the outdoors in months. <laughs> I love that idea. Has that been a good fundraising opportunity? Definitely. Yeah. So we were able to make quite a bit of money just from those experiences, both the hour long tours and the go to meetings. So it's been a really good pivot. And even now we're starting to offer in-person tours again with all the proper COVID protocol and safety in place. But we're still doing virtual tours because we're, there's still a demand and there's actually companies who are also doing like offsites with us and they're doing them virtually. So it's been pretty neat to see the different groups that have joined us. Yeah, that's really cool. What advice do you have for other nonprofits around the world, it sounds like, that might want to get creative and take on you know, other ways of getting folks onto the nonprofit mm-hmm. site? to the space where you are. I mean, I, I will diverge for just a moment to say one of the best ways to engage potential donors is by just bringing them to wherever you are, wherever you operate, whether it's an animal sanctuary or a school or a hospital or a music hall to just get people into the space so they can experience it and have that, that feel or the essence of what's unique and special about that organization. So I was just talking with Kelly O'Brien events, and that was one of the podcasts that will be that's prior Mm -hmm. to yours. She is an events planner. And so she's talking about all sorts of creative ways to figure out how to go virtual or just engage donors. And I love what you've done because that's really innovative and seems like it's bringing a lot of joy and random Mm -hmm. and unexpected potential donors to your space. And donors are people who are just interested in being part of this community of looking out for the animals who can't speak for themselves or fend for themselves. So yeah, do you have any advice about like, where did these ideas come from? And what could others do as they're thinking about how they might be able to engage their potential donors virtually? I think you kind of have to immediately when something like this happens, think about like, okay, well, what are people doing? And how are they doing it at this point? 
the first thing we thought of was like, everybody's at home and they're still looking for ways to connect. And so it's kind of just thinking about, you know, what's, what's some way that, like you said, you can still bring people without having to have people there on site. And so I think probably a big piece of advice for people if they're not already partnering with some sort of organization like Airbnb or, I mean, if they're a nonprofit like mine where they need to have people, you know, be a part of an experience or something, is to just kind of look for the online partners, the bigger companies that might be something complementary to your organization that you could see if they could help you with like getting on their site or referring customer or donors or something to you as well. So there's a lot that have been popping up and kind of seeing what the for-profit businesses I think are doing as well is a really good way to kind of adjust your expectations and see how, how things are working. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I love that idea of reaching out to the corporations Mm -hmm. and seeing what are their customers doing and needing and wanting and how can you leverage Mm -hmm. their platform. Seems like a big challenge is always breaking into the corporations. Do you have advice on how to get the attention of a big company? I think just offering a unique experience or figuring out what your nonprofit is really good at or figuring out what your niche is and how how you're different than somebody else. And then reaching out to your network, reaching out to people who might have a connection to somebody else and just kind of going down that route of trying to find the right contact to break into the space. Yeah. Great <laughs> advice. Yeah. It's all about just sort of asking people, mm-hmm. who do you know and who might be interested in this and what are you hearing people are interested in and how might we be able to create something mutually beneficial? Exactly. So Trace, what keeps you up at night? What do you worry about? What are you really wrestling with in the space of animal protection and animal rights and health and nature, environmental I think just in general, I mean, every step that I take, I realize that at least for farm animals, we have 150, but there are billions in the system. And so realizing that what I'm doing is a small piece of the bigger picture and I wish I could be doing more. And I realized that the way to be doing more is through education and through trying to kind of stop the problem before we end up getting animals. You know, obviously as a lot of nonprofits say the best, the goal is to not be in business anymore, that you don't need a nonprofit like what you have going on. And so I think constantly like striving for education and for awareness. And that keeps me up at night is just trying to make sure that I'm doing the best I can to bring the message out to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Are you open to collaborations or partnerships with other organizations right now? Or are you just really working on your own No, we are definitely open. Even the sanctuary space, a lot of us collaborate. So up in Northern California here, we're doing a joint calendar where we have all these sanctuaries putting together pictures and we're going to sell them together. But in general, you know, we partner with other larger organizations. We, there's a kind of a fairly well-known animal rights organization called Mercy for Animals. And we did a tour for them and their donors. And so we've found that 
partnering with organizations, whether they're animal rights or corporations or whatever, it, we're just getting our, our message out to more people. And we're able, if we're able to help somebody else, then they can help us. And it's just the best way to go about, about doing this. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I love to hear that. I'm very curious about nonprofits partnering because especially during these times when the economy is so up and down and so many people are suffering and have lost their lives, I think that philanthropy, it's in a very changing time where some are giving even more than ever before and others are not able to Mm -hmm. give at all anymore. So a lot of nonprofits are probably looking at ways to become more efficient or louder Mm -hmm. and or louder so that they can use each other's communities or leverage each other's messages to raise awareness and maintain operational, you know, funding sustainability. Mm-hmm. It's really important. Are you looking at growth plans right now or are you holding stable? What are you thinking about the organization five mm-hmm. years from now? Yeah, we are not looking to grow the number of animals. So we feel that our animals are ambassadors for our message. And so as much as I would love to have thousand, 2000, you know, as many animals as I could fit and save. I realized that they all are serving an educational purpose. And I feel like we are at our max with the number of animals we are going to take in permanently. However, what we're looking to do is to grow our educational outreach. And so developing programs, we're developing a kids program right now. So reaching out to schools and trying to bring kids into kind of this awareness of compassion and empathy. And we really think that just even empathy and compassion for animals can also translate to empathy and compassion for humans. And so trying to build this community from the start, from from a young age, I think is really important. So we're trying to build out our education program. We're also building out our garden, actually. So we're doing a food program now. Right now we're growing produce on the site and we're offering a UPIC program, but we are also donating our produce to a number of different nonprofit organizations in Sonoma County itself, just for people to have no cost produce during this economic crisis. And so we're really looking at not only how do we kind of tell people like there's a way that you can be kind to animals and have empathy and compassion, but also like this is what you do afterwards and check out these amazing healthy foods that you can grow and you can take home and you can cook with and kind of bringing the whole thing together. So I really want to bring together this kind of circle of of health and environment and, and animals all at once. I love that. That's a wonderful mm-hmm. full circle. So what gives you fuel? What keeps you lit and bright and energized? I think for me, I am really lucky with my organization that I actually have happy animals that I can go and cuddle and play with and clean up after and, you know, take care of. I think that really gets me going when I'm feeling down. I always go and I make sure that I see the animals that I'm helping and see what I'm actually doing physically. I think a lot of nonprofits that are dealing with hard subjects don't actually, a lot of it's really depressing. (laughs) You know, a lot of times you don't actually have that, that happy story that you get to see, but I think it's so important, even if you are in a somewhat depressing or, 
you know, kind of negative feeling issue that you're working on as a nonprofit that you really look to the happy stories and whether that's the animals or, you know, if you're working with homeless, you know, finding a happy story that came out of that or something like that. So that really, I think, is the way to keep yourself motivated to keep going and to see what what you've done and also to celebrate the small victories. So I think it's important to celebrate your little milestones that you reach and to not just have this feeling that you have to reach the entire journey in order to be happy and to realize you've made a difference that even celebrating just one win is is really important. Mm, and that's a takeaway that any of us could apply to our day-to-day lives. I think it's important to pause and just acknowledge the, the small things every day instead of looking for the big and grand finale. That's sort of part of the journey exactly. of life. Yeah. Right, yeah, I like that, Tracy. Tracy, what gives you hope in addition to the inspiration you've just shared? But what gives you hope or what are you looking at as an Yeah, that's actually a really good question. That's something that I should have brought up earlier too, was that something I didn't think would happen when I started this organization. You know, a lot of people do ask me, how do I get the animals? They don't know why farm animals are rescued or how they come to me. And a lot of them come through some sort of trauma or they've been abused or neglected. Some have been at animal shelters. Some are directly from an owner who needs to relinquish them. And some have really traumatic stories where they've come from. But so I didn't expect first off that I would have so many animals at my request to take in. I thought I was going to have to go looking for them. And I haven't taken, I've rarely looked for any of the animals I've taken in. They've all been just kind of incoming requests that have come in and quite frequently. So I'm still turning down animals all the time, unfortunately. But what I tell people from that, you know, everybody gets really depressed when I say that and say, you know, we have to turn down so many animals and, you know, they're not going to good places. A lot of times I know that I'm their last stop and that by me saying no, that they are going to die. And that's a really hard thing for me to wrestle with. But the positive thing that I take away from that and what gives me hope is that somebody was advocating for them and that there have been so many good people out there advocating for animals. And that that was so unexpected for me that, you know, there'd be more people advocating for a specific animal than there would be space for the animals. And there's, we're part of a huge network of sanctuaries. So we reach out to everybody and we say, Hey, there's, you know, this pig that needs a home. Can anybody take them? And so we're always looking out for like, you know, possible spaces for these animals, but often there's not enough. And so as depressing as that is, it is also really hopeful because it means that there's so many good people out there trying to do good. And so that gives me hope that, you know, there's a future of, of more of those types of people. Mm, Yeah. And your education will just only create awareness, increase that awareness. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, okay. That's wonderful. I'm happy to hear that. Tracy, how can people find you if they want to come and tour the ranch or the farm and, or reach out to you? What's the best way? So we are, our website is www.charliesacres.org. And 
We are also on Facebook at Charlie's Acres Farm Animal Sanctuary, and you guys can reach out to us there. You can look us up on our website. If you join our newsletter, we send out amazing pictures and stories and, you know, events that we're doing. And we would really love to see all of you either virtually or in person at some point. You're taking more board members? We are at some point, yes. So, that, well, yes, not quite yet, but we, we're interested. Okay, great. I had a nice conversation with a woman today who is in a very corporate position. Mm-hmm. And she said a bunch of her girlfriends and she have talked about how they can give back mm-hmm. and are struggling with understanding even where to plug in or how. And so I, it really sparked my curiosity to talk to people like you about, you know, how are totally. you managing your boards and are you starting to take applicants? For board membership. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're kind of, we're, we're new to this whole thing. So we're starting to build that out, but we're definitely interested. Okay, great. So if you're interested in joining the board, then reach out to Tracy and she may not be taking you yet, but at least mm-hmm. you can build a Rolodex of potential folks who are interested. Yes. <laughs> okay. Tracy, what's something that I haven't asked you yet that I should have? Um, you probably should have asked me who Charlie is. <laughs> Oh, who is Charlie? <laughs> and how did they come him. up with the name? <laughs> um, yeah, so can't believe I, I know. Yeah, so everybody always asks who Charlie is, and they think Charlie's a person, or sometimes they email me and call me Charlie. It's not my name, <laughs> but Charlie is my little Chihuahua, and so I adopted her ten years ago from a shelter in Sacramento, and. She is a Chihuahua mix and she's kind of the boss of the sanctuary. And I, when I started Charlie's Acres, I was trying to think of a good name and trying to think of who inspired me. And I thought of little Charlie because she came from pretty rough background and she was in the shelter for a while and was kind of overlooked and didn't really have her own voice. And so that was something that I felt like the farm animals at Charlie's Acres were all kind of the little Charlies that were overlooked and, and didn't have a voice. So I, I wanted to name it after her. Oh, I love that. And I remember you say this on your website too, but I remember when I went up to the farm, she was the first to greet you. Yeah, <laughs> she was the first to greet you and she's always the loudest. <laughs> the loudest to send you off. <laughs> she's a sweet yeah. puppy and it's nice to have her as part of the family. Yes. Sure. <laughs> this has been really great. I always ask my guests if there is one thought, idea, concept, human or nonprofit that they want to shed light on, then what would it be? Well, I mean, I would obviously be talking about animal welfare and animal rights. And so I think regardless of whether you check us out or look us up, that you look into the different nonprofits in the space. And there's a lot in this space that are focusing on a lot of different issues. And so I have several favorites like um, the Humane League, Humane Society of the United States, Mercy for Animals. And there's just a lot of different organizations doing good things. So I think checking that out and keeping in mind that there's so many people that and animals that are looking for help at this stage during COVID to try to do what you can during this trying time. Good. Okay. Well, Tracy, it's been lovely to chat with you. I'm so happy to shine a light on you and your work as the founder and somebody who's so deeply passionate about animals and education and health. 
and environmental issues. Thank so you. Thank you for all that you do and for Charlie's anger. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good day. You too. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Creating Community for Good podcast. If you like what you heard, let me know. Send me a message on LinkedIn or write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you're curious about a topic or you'd like to be a guest, let's connect. Go to www.creatingcommunityforgood.com. In there, you will see all of the podcast episodes with beautifully written show notes and hyperlinks to everything that we've discussed. Thank you and shine on. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.